This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Amy Champion, who was an atheist before her NDE, and afterwards she became a Buddhist. Amy, thank you for joining us today, and welcome. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Well, if you don't mind, I guess we should just start on the day that it happened and go from there. Okay. Uh, January 9th, 2009, I was um, undergoing an extensive surgery. I had had a double mastectomy and a tug flap reconstruction of my breasts, which is muscles from my thighs that then created new breasts. So it's like an 18 hour surgery and it included all kinds of connecting nerves from my leg muscles into my chest. Um, We knew that it was going to be a very, very long surgery. Um, At some point during that surgery, I lost a lot of blood and apparently they didn't have enough of my blood type on reserve. Um, That is, I I essentially bled out. I I came back with a brain injury, having lost too much blood on the operating table. So um, that was January 9th, 2009. Uh, I remember joking with the surgeons about being an attorney and, you know, they always want to chat with you as they're putting you under anesthesia. Um, They didn't want me to sue them if anything went wrong. And then I became aware of the darkest dark that I could perceive. Um, And then I became aware of pinpoint light in the, what I perceived to be a very far distance that was I was going to it or it was coming to me. I don't know if I was being pulled or, or propelled from where I was. Um, so that, that became what I think other people describe as, as the tunnel. Um, and as I approached the light, it became more and more pure, the whitest light I've ever seen. And it became, my perception started to feel like, like just enveloped in a hug. It was pressure, but not, not in any way confining or you know, choking, but just like a hug all around. Um, I remember asking, thinking I'm dying, I've died. <laughs> and I remember asking, have I, have I done enough in my lifetime? And then there's like this chuckle that was a, Okay, first of all, none of this was auditory and none of this was visual. It was all sort of a telepathic perception. Um, And I got kind of the feeling of a chuckle and a masculine kind of chorus. So multiple beings or entities um, that sort of in a, in a nice, but patronizing kind of a way you haven't, you've done enough. You haven't, you haven't taught enough. 
Um, I was, I've always been a very curious person and very interested in learning. And so to me, I, I, of course, I still had more to learn. I was only in my late thirties. Um, and the response was that I hadn't taught enough. So then, um, I remember feeling a little stunned. Um, I remember asking, uh, what, what was it that I needed to teach? And then immediately being transported to this, um, people call it a life review. It was not a linear thing. It was like my entire life, everything that I had ever done, positive or negative, and anything that I had experienced, positive or negative from others, all into one compact moment, I guess. Um, where I was able to see like puzzle pieces fitting together in like three-dimensional ways. Um, any pain that I had had made sense. And the people that had caused the pain or who were instrumental in that pain became it very clearly necessary. And my sense of valuing good and bad, positive and negative, evil, heavenly, whatever, went away because it was all necessary. Um, I remember realizing in that moment that value judgments, um, I, I have, like I said, I've always been very interested and curious and interested in learning. I, in my career, I've been very data oriented, very macro policy. I want the data behind policy decisions. Um, I evaluate social service programs for a living. Uh, so it all, it all just sort of the positive and negative, the Likert scale, that all went out the window. So it's, it's certainly made life interesting coming back because uh, I was so grounded in, in valuation. Um, I remember feeling an absolute purity of love and unconditional love, uh, that I hadn't been able to conceive you know, everybody talks about unconditional love, right? And we tend to talk about that in terms of families. Uh, but I understood that it was much, much broader than that, uh, much deeper than that, um, more encompassing. I had a sense of just, I, it's, it's hard to put into words, but a sense of calmness and I, I, being okay. I, I was okay for the first time that in my experience that I could relate to, I, I felt completely, wholly okay. Like there was no, nothing more that I needed to do, nothing that I was missing. I felt whole and I felt okay. And I felt absolutely loved and I felt forgiving and forgiven. Um, I, and then the life review was over and I went backwards <laughs> or forwards. I don't know if it's a sphere, maybe I went in a whole other direction. Um, and then I came to realizing that I was in the intensive care unit. The person in the bed next to me was crying out in agonizing pain. He'd had some sort of a brain surgery. Um, and my then spouse was trying to communicate with me. I immediately asked for a chaplain um, who came into the room and fumbled through my chart. And he looked at me and he said, it says you're an atheist. What is it that you want me to do for you? And I remember saying, I, 
I don't know, but I experienced something and I figure you're the person that can talk about it with me. And he said, well, if you can't tell me what you need, I can't really help you. But when you figure it out, feel free to call me back. Um, And so then it took me like two years to even mention to anybody that I had experienced something. Um, I had been an atheist. I was raised an atheist. I had scholarships to law school for my atheism. um, And I was very, you know, rational (laughs) and data-based. And there's not a whole lot of data about this kind of an experience. Certainly people coming back and saying, I experienced this. And if they do, quite frankly, they're most often referred to mental health people and psychiatrists, which I did have a bout of that over the last, what are we, almost 13 years. Um, So I I shut up. I didn't talk about it. It seemed too unreal. Um, Shortly after that, leaving the hospital, getting back on, you know, getting into my rehab. I had a brain injury as a result of losing too much blood. So I had a lot of focus on my physical well-being and, and cognition and executive function was, was an issue, continues to be, although it's better every day. Um, and I remember I was an attorney. I remember, you know, having clients where we're standing in court and it's all controversy and, and debating and having positions and being rational and presenting facts and data. Um, And I remember thinking, none of this really feels right. None of this really feels as valuable as the court is making judgments on it. My client's position, while I can understand it and empathize with where they're coming from, isn't the totality of the picture. This horrible person over here that did these things to them had a role in this person's life. And this person had a role in their life. And so it made my academic existence, pretty meaningless. So I started reading um, and researching. It was all very, very new. Uh, I I hadn't been exposed to Buddhism really at all. I, I knew Buddhists exist, but I didn't have any grounding. So after some years of just reading anything I could get my hands on, I started to recognize that my fundamental belief system is truly most in line with Tibetan Buddhism. I've never met a Tibetan Buddhist in my life, so I could be making this up, but that's what makes sense academically when I read um, about the various iterations of Buddhism. Um, so that's that's it in a nutshell. Um, I don't know, I don't know. There was a chorus of people that sounded like men in my head. You could call them angels, you could call them spirit guides you could call you could say it's the buddha i think that's highly plausible um i i do believe in reincarnation i believe that i cheated a cheated a life there because i would i died and came back into this one and i that makes me feel really lucky to have this new awareness and integration within the same lifetime it makes my life make a whole lot more sense i think so that's that's that. That's how that happened. Um, the big salient points for me, not so much the tunnel, the light was really incredible, um, but really that life review and that sense of, of everybody is really okay. Like there really aren't mistakes that make it so horrible that, that our energy ceases to exist. Our energy continues to go from lifetime to lifetime to lifetime. And so I'm a lot less judgmental with people I find conflict very difficult. 
um, and I'm a professional conflict person, right? Isn't that what attorneys are supposed to be doing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I, it's it's really been about how to integrate and live true to what I know to be my reality now, what I know to be reality from the experiences that I have. Amy, thank you for sharing your experience with us. When you were first in the part of your experience where it was very dark, did it have a velvety texture to it or any texture at all? Texture? Hmm. I, it felt like cold air. It felt like the darkest night in New England. Cold, airy, breezy. That's what it felt like to me. And the closer I got to the light, the warmer it felt. And, the, and again, that pressure... It's like the wind started to more like humid Texas air. <laughs> That's how I would relate it. You mentioned that you felt like you were being hugged. Would that be a comforting hug or like someone squeezing you too hard? Totally comforting. And it's interesting with the brain injury, I have a lot of neurological hoopla. <laughs> and so since then, and since I've figured out the brain injury, I now sleep with piles and piles of weighted blankets. And that's the closest thing that I could um, describe that what that pressure during the NDE felt like was just, just weighted blankets all around, all around me. So it was very comforting. A couple of experiencers expressed that going through the tunnel is like the action of leaving your body. Do you think that's true for you? Yes. Yes. Yes, absolutely. As, especially in hindsight, um, being in my body feels like I'm sort of just listless in, in human existence. Um, when I'm in deep meditation, when I was in the NDE, I felt connected, absolutely grounded and connected. So I, yeah, I, I do think that I was separate from my body and that I came back to my body. And I feel like my body is all goofed up now because of the brain injury and, and the peripheral nervous system um, that I feel most whole, most connected when I'm in deep meditation, for sure. When you actually made it to the light and therefore you left your body, do you felt like you expanded and you, you know, covered a, a large amount of area with your beingness? Yes. Yes, definitely expanded. Um, and I think that the coming back had to expand my own. Um, I mean, I, I don't know that my brain is bigger, <laughs> but it expanded my own sense of space within my body and coming back. Um, yeah. It, I, and, and I struggle with, uh, I, I don't know if it was a, it feels like I went into a sphere and, and the meat of the NDE is at that center of that sphere. And then I came out on a different part of that sphere. Um, and so being in that sphere is really, was really being connected to the center of much something much much bigger and that our humanity is outside of that sphere it's like a soul home or a spirit home maybe a hobbit hole i don't know i don't have the language for it i you know atheists don't talk about this stuff Mm -hmm. we don't have a nomenclature 
after or during your life review, do you feel like you are being judged or you are judging yourself? I feel like the lesson learned is that I was my harshest judge, that there is, I, I was not being judged. The lesson was there is no judgment. We, it, judgment is a human construct. And so much so that we have, you know, categories and values and, and, and societies built on judgment. And it's strictly a human thing. We, there, beyond our humanness is, is judgment free. It's, we're so whole that we don't, ju judgment is like carving us down and shrinking us and limiting us. And I think that, you know, at, from this Buddhist place that I come from now, I, I think that we choose to incarnate for the purpose of creating these cages and limits to play around with humanity. And because you can't do it, you can't do that in strictly soul space because we're all one. We're all of that same center of that sphere. We're all part of that unconditional love and commonality um, that, we, you know, we incarnate for the purpose of distinction and, and for the purpose of judgment. Living here in this realm, we have a sense of what's right and wrong. We have laws pertaining to what's right and wrong. Does that all go out the window on the other side? Like there's uh -huh. no right or wrong there at all? There's just maybe experiences? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Which has made me think a lot about personal autonomy as, you know, in our human incarnation, we we have to have a sense, a healthy sense of personal autonomy. And, you know, some people might say it's selfishness. I, I just think it's, we're exercising what it feels like to be individualized from this larger whole. Um, and I think that, you know, from a sociological standpoint, we have to have guidance. We have to have some sort of valuation. We have to have positive and negative and pushing and pulling in order to get anything done as a society you know you, you really can't there are some people right who who totally isolate and are not dependent on other human beings in their human existence but the vast majority of us are grouping into you know societies and cultures and neighborhoods and families and all of it and and so we have to have guidance for how to exercise our individuality which is why we came here um without harming others, I, you know, and, and I don't know that we ever can really truly prevent that harm. We know some categories, if you end somebody's physical life, you know, that that's leaving the people that they're interacting with in a lurch because that person has been murdered <laughs> and that, you know, we got to do something about that as a group. Uh, but beyond, but beyond our humanity, it, yeah, it goes out the window. There's no good and bad. In my mind, there's no heaven or hell. It's all a part of the bigger necessity that creates that one being. You can't have really, really great without really, really bad. And so they become blurred and just a part of the mixture. So basically you were told that you're not teaching enough. Yeah. Have you discovered since then what you're supposed to be teaching? And if so, what mm -hmm. is it? I, you know, it's funny. I, um, a few years when I was, before I really started to integrate this 
awareness and accept it. Um, I was like, okay, well, I know I'm supposed to teach. So I went and, and taught like college classes and I loved it. And it was really fulfilling to have that sort of common curiosity with students. And, you know, they would ask questions and then I was able to ask questions to get them to ask new questions. And together we were creating this new sense of understanding. Um, so it was really great and fulfilling, but it was really clear to me that my, my job here is not to teach public policy. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are a lot of statisticians out there who can teach you how to calculate these things. And that's really wasn't what it was about. Um, I had some, I have some physical pain-ish neurological pain. And I started practicing Reiki, um, which is an ancient, ancient healing tradition, energy healing tradition. Um, so then, so then for a while I started healing myself and resolving pain for myself. Um, And so then I thought, well, maybe I'm supposed to be teaching people Reiki and self-healing and how to listen to your body and, and, you know, mind over matter and mindfulness and meditation. Maybe it's that realm of practical spirituality, I guess. And that also fulfilling. And I've seen some really great things. And I've had some students that have gone on to really, you know, make change in their own lives and the lives of other people. I still don't think that's it. I think I'm supposed to just be teaching by example. So I think um, certainly in my in my career, I've been given these opportunities to be an attorney in new ways. Um, and I, I think I'm supposed to be teaching compassion. And I think I'm supposed to be teaching how to unconditionally love regardless of the things that our society has ticked off as positive or negative. Um, so, you know, in my, in my current iteration of being an attorney, I work a lot with therapeutic courts. So people who have committed crimes because they have an underlying unmanaged mental health concern or an addiction to substances. And, you know, according to our law, they've committed some pretty horrible things, but it doesn't it doesn't, it's not about a value on their soul. And so, you know, practicing compassion in, in the law can be a little tricky because it's so black and white. Um, I think I'm supposed to be teaching by example. And I think I'm supposed to be teaching compassion and unconditional love and, and empathy and, and how to rely on our intuition. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Hopefully I've got a whole lot more years to write the book, I guess. (laughs) Well, if there's something that you could teach us all about being on the other side or about near-death experiences in general, what would you teach us? Um, Mindfulness matters. It's, It's not a kitschy thing that we'd put on coffee mugs and pass out. Like it really, it really matters. That's our, that's our language of our own humanity and how we translate from soul to, to our humanity. Um, I, I, you know, how to, I guess, how to, how to drive your human. So that recognition of we are more than what our human iteration allows us to show. It's, it's the cage. Our, our human body, our human existence is the cage that's cutting off the picture of, of our wholeness. So I, I, I think that I, I think there's so much more to our existence than this one particular lifetime. 
or the third one back or the third one ahead. And we're going to keep having them and we're going to keep being confronted with the same lessons or opportunities to learn until we're able to integrate that wholeness that we, that we are. That doesn't fit into our human suit. I have not had many Buddhist guests on. So can you share with us a little bit about how your beliefs match the Buddhist beliefs and what those are? Maybe. I, I, I belong to a Buddhist temple, but it is a, diff, a wholly different line of Buddhism than what I know to be true for myself. And so I've not ever talked to a Tibetan Buddhist. I've only read um, we believe in reincarnation. We believe that we continue to see the struggles until we learn the lesson. Um, we, we believe in um, existence beyond our, our suffering. Our, our human existence is, is commonly uh, experienced as suffering. And you can escape that suffering if you can transcend the limitations of our of your human um yeah i believe that um pain which is derived from our human existence right it's that on that valuation scale that we we use as humans plus the resistance to that pain creates the suffering um yeah i don't i i'm not the best spokesperson for buddhism because i'm still learning as I go and researching as I go and trying it out. And I don't know. I don't know. I, but I do know I'm super excited about it. So I'm atypical because Buddhists don't usually go out proselytizing, <laughs> but I'd be a good cheerleader. Uh, you know, it's made a huge difference to always go back to Buddhist text and, and ponder. I'm having a struggle. I'm having a pain. What am I resisting? What is the lesson? that I need to take a look at here. And once I do that and I'm able to move past it, then, then the pain goes away. Or I don't know if it goes away. I manage it better and I live with it and it becomes a part of this existence. It expands my sense of my humanity. So it it's, feels like I'm, I'm inviting in that bigger sense of soul into this little tiny body, this little tiny cage um, and living bigger in my own space. Basically, everyone suffers here. Do you think that's part of the lesson that we're supposed to have while being here? Yes, absolutely. The suffering is absolutely the the title on the assignment sheet. Um, and how we, you know, we, we choose to suffer, truly, truly. Why do we sign up for that? Day, it's part of being an individual. And the only way to be an individual is to have something to push back on. You got to have the negative. You got to have the things that you're going to resist in order to, to be an individual, to have those individual experiences and characteristics in your life. Um, yeah. No, I think it's the point. I, I tend to be like, bring it on. Like, there's not a whole lot that scares me anymore and totally fearless. Um, <laughs> I, I have a disconnect in time and space because it's all, it's all one. It's all one. And if we want to escape that one and have a have a something that belongs just to us, we have to we have to have something to experience. Do you feel like you experienced God or Source 
during your NDE? I prefer the term source, but yeah, I, I, and then the caveat is I think we're all talking about the same thing. Um, I'm a lot less antagonistic towards religious people. I wouldn't call myself a religious person. I don't, number one, I don't think Buddhism is a religion. I think of it as a philosophy distinct from religion. Um, but, but number, number two, um, I think we're all talking about the same energy. I think energy scientifically, we know it, it, it continues, it, it tra- changes, it transmutes, but it, it doesn't go away. Um, and so I think we're all talking about energy. And I think that there are different um, versions of the same kind of story. And if you really get to the lessons of those stories and, and peel back the characters, we're all talking about the same thing. We're, we're all talking about a higher plane of existence. Um, when we're human, we say heaven or hell. Um, I don't, but most, most humanity, right? We have this concept of, of heaven and hell and good and bad. And, and I think we're all talking about the same energetic feelings. Comparing the other side to ours, which side do you think is more real? Oh, that side for sure. Um, and that's where I get hung up on this idea of time and space because um, I'm here and I have a mortgage to pay and, you know, like a job to go to and momming duties and dogs, you know, <laughs> that feels instantly real, but it's really just the pieces and parts of, of this life that I chose to be a part of and that apparently I chose to come back to. Um you know, it's, it's the, it's the play in which I'm exercising my autonomy. Um, but, but real rail is the other side. Could you consider it like we're in a simulation or like playing a game? Yeah, that makes sense to me. That totally makes sense to me. I've seen some new research coming out too, that people can communicate, um, from a distance telepathic. I mean, telepathically, I don't, I don't know that they use that word, but it's mind-to-mind communication. I absolutely believe it. Um, I think playing a game makes sense. We, we put the cartridge in and, you know, I'm going to be a white lady this time. And, and, you know, maybe next time I'll be a brown dog or um, a, a, a Catholic priest. I don't know. You know, I, I we put the cartridge in, we pick the lessons and then it, it bears out with characteristics that will lead us in this lifetime to those lessons. I think we come here to learn. Did you used to walk in atheist circles before your NDE? If so, are you still walking in those circles? Yeah. I, yeah, I was a member of the American atheists. They gave me scholarships to a Jesuit university for law school. Um, I was very antagonistic and in some portions of my young adulthood, um, I would seek out people that had religious beliefs or who were very spiritual and I would go about challenging them. It's part of why I went into the law because I was so antagonistic and and judgmental, quite frankly. Um, I do still associate with a lot of my atheist friends um, and I have a healthy dose of respect for the commitment to personal autonomy that they have. I think 
I think they're limiting themselves. And so sometimes we just have to agree to disagree and, and they love me anyway. And they pat me on the head and go, yeah, yeah, you experienced something. Okay, Amy. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> what do you think inspires you about your experience? Ah, the, the pure joy, the, the pure joy that I felt in that light embrace, um, in the aha moments of the um, life review where, where I felt forgiven and that I was forgiving people who had, you know, tra transgressed my existence. I've had, you know, we, we all, I think we all experience trauma and I've had my fair share of weird life circumstances that were pretty traumatic um, and not so much anymore. Um, I felt joy for having had the experience. The really hard stuff has given me the richest lessons. It's been the biggest opportunity to, to, to grow as an individual and bring that universal awareness to this existence. So I think it's joy. I think I'm inspired by joy. I get up excited every day. And I have a really hard day. I can have staff people that have a million things that I need to, you know, shift gears and, and pleadings that have to go into court and clients that are, you know, really struggling. And, and I'm excited about it all. I wake up happy. I wake up joyful. Have you noticed since your experience that you have any cognitive changes that could be considered psychic? Yes, absolutely. Um, especially the, the practice of Reiki. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have premonitions. My intuition is like ridiculous alarm bells all the time. I feel the energy around me. I can, um, you know, I, I can, I have premonitions. I see a scene and I know what's going to happen before it happens. Um, and that's a little creepy, quite frankly. I, I would not have expected that prior to the NDE. Um, I definitely live life more intuitively and I, and because I do, when I, I used to be diagnosed with a generalized anxiety disorder, I don't have any anxiety anymore. There's like no fear, no anxiety. Um, I just roll with it and I've learned to trust my intuition. And if something doesn't feel right, then I, I have, you know, sometimes a few seconds, sometimes a few days to to get in alignment with myself and be prepared for whatever's happening. Cause I'm, I'm not afraid to die. Where's what's going to happen. I'm going to die. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> so you had this um, anxiety disorder before your experience. I did. Yeah. I was in theater as a young person, which is enough to do anybody in <laughs> that's constant judgment, constant, constant every moment. So yeah. 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 I, I used to, take pharmaceuticals for anxiety. And now I'm hundred percent pharma free. And I absolutely attribute that to the NDE and the, and my ability to rely on my intuition and to listen to my body and, and adjust my own energy, my own core energy. I align with source um, and I'm good. What type of meditation do you do? It varies. It varies. Sometimes I rely on guided meditation you know, with famous people who are doing guided meditation or just people that I find and I like the sound of their voice. Um, 
sometimes I just go absolutely to, to silence and close everything off and just feels like I'm in that floating blackness. Um, and then I center back to that, that light. Um, I practice, I practice Reiki a lot. So I focus on my chakras. Um, yeah, it varies. It varies. It depends on what happened in the day that punched a hole in my alignment that I've got to restore or what I'm preparing for. What kind of advice would you give to somebody who has lost a loved one and is grieving? Breathe, breathe and, and know that that breath is, is touching the breath from all that we're all connected. Um, that there, there's not pain. There's not pain. There's no pain. I, there's no pain. It's so joyful and so full and so right. Um, that truly it, it, it's not possible from my perspective. And I know there, there are some indie ears who have had a really, what they would classify as a really horrific experience. And, and perhaps they've seen this hell. Um, I, I can't relate to that. I'm not saying they didn't experience what they experienced. Um, I think we all go through an integration when we come back and we assign meaning based on what our human existence has been. So I don't want to devalue what other people say, but I, I think that you can't die and be there um, and, and have it be any worse than what we experience here. Like this is hell. Hell is what we live every day because it's constantly the pain, the resistance, the suffering, the demands, the expectations, the failures. That's how we define humanity. So if you're grieving, you've lost somebody, know that that wholeness, that return to home, that return to source is so fulfilling that um, when they come back to their next life, they're gonna bring that with them. And when you die, you're going to experience that and you're going to come back and bring that with, um, that I, I don't know. Grief is hard. Grief is hard because it doesn't really exist over there. We're, we're good. We're good. We're whole, we're connected. Um, it's, it's really a human creation, this grief. So again, the pain, the grief plus the resistance, um, is, is creating the suffering. And, and I think we do choose that. That's part of being human. We've, we've chosen to, to live here amongst other people who have chosen to live here. We all have our own return date. So are you saying the best way is to accept the pain? Yeah. And then that will reduce your suffering? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that sounds a little harsh, accept the pain. Yeah. I guess that is what I'm saying. I'm not intending to be really harsh. I, you know, the intention is, is to say, um, it's, it's a part of this particular lifetime. It's a part of this particular humaning. Um, and it's not forever and it does change. And when we learn to accept or integrate that reality, then I do believe we can connect when we, when we get to our core alignment, we can connect with the people that we've that we classify as lost to death, 
um, they're coming back. They're coming back. You're coming back. You're going there. They're, we're all coming and going and we will reunite. I absolutely, I, some people think I'm completely loony when I say this, but I absolutely believe that <clears throat> I had this dog that I really, really loved and she died because pets die too. And I had the NDE. Then I had several years without a dog. Um, and then I got a puppy and that puppy is my dog. That's, that's the dog that I had. She came back and there is no disputing it. People, the closest people in my life that knew that dog and know this dog can see it. It's the same personality, the same behavioral issues. Like if she's mad, she stomps her feet and huffs at me like the other dog did. Mm. You can call her by the other dog's name and she she well she knows now because we've been doing it for years but Mm -hmm. originally when she was a puppy i mistakenly called her the other dog's name and she behaved exactly the same it's the same dog so (laughs) we do i do believe our paths cross multiple times Mm -hmm. because we're all one and like attracts like and we're all alike and so we we find our place back it's interesting It's interesting is just as you started talking about your dog, my dog came up to me and wanted up. Hello. That's an interesting coincidence that usually it's not very often that she wants up while I'm working. (laughs) Well, maybe your dog, you know, as we can possibly choose our lives pre-birth knew that she wanted to come or he wanted to come back to you. Yeah. She gives, she gives me great treats, so I want to go back to her and takes good care yeah. of me. <laughs> when talking about there's you know no wrong or right on the other side and everybody's forgiven, a lot of people will usually appear to bring up the example like, well, what about Hitler or you know you know or some other mass murderer? How does that play in in your opinion? It plays in because if we didn't have opposite and equal actions and reactions, we would not have the platform to learn what being an individual is all about. Um, We come from this commonality. So in order to learn that in tangible ways and experience our individuality, we have to have people that are doing things that feel harmful to us. Or we have to be doing things that feel harmful to other people because we wouldn't get the resistance if we didn't have the pain. And without the resistance, we don't have the suffering. And without the suffering, we don't have the, the internal drive to make a change. Um, I mean, I'm not in any way saying, yay, Hitler. I'm not. I, I think it's atrocious. At a human level, what we saw is atrocious. And I think we see it in other ways, too, um, <laughs> throughout history. I, but I think we wouldn't have learned the value of acceptance and love and support and, and connecting to the source where we all are one if we didn't have somebody stepping out of line um, as we define it in our humanity. So, I, you know, I mean, I've had some pretty horrible things happen in my life and I'm, I'm actually grateful for those horrible things because they taught me how to human better. They taught me why it's important not to do those things to other people, right? It, it taught me how to love through the pain. So I don't hang with people who 
harmed me in the past. We're not friends. I don't like, I don't need to have them in my daily life, but I did need them in order to learn the self-compassion and the self-forgiveness and to resonate with my own empathy for suffering. So it's interesting that you use the word Mm -hmm. self-forgiveness. Does forgiving them also important or is forgiving them also important? Yeah. To the degree that I believe in forgiveness, right? Again, I don't believe in good and bad. I believe that everything happens for a reason and it's, and the reason is for us to learn. So yeah. Um, At the same time, forgiveness is like so huge and such an important thing. And at the other, other side of that coin, it's really quite irrelevant. Like everybody has a role and, you know, yes, if we were in that video game and checking our, our things that we wanted to have in our cartridge, um, you know, we pick lessons and for those lessons to happen, we have to have those things to push against. So it's, I mean, forgiveness, I mean, we chose lessons and in order to learn that lesson, given the rest of the characteristics in our human existence, you know, maybe it had to play out that way and sucks to be you sucks to be me. It is what it is. It's, it's, that's what being human is about on both sides of the coin. And we all do good things and we all do bad things. Do you think there's an end point to reincarnating and maybe we go on to do something else? Yeah. I I don't know. I don't know. I could see choosing not to incarnate again. I think it's a little arrogant to think that I could be possible, it would be possible for me to learn everything that I needed to learn. So, you know, as a curious person, as somebody that constantly wants to learn, I, I mean, I think it's within our realm to, to choose to, to incarnate. Um, and maybe people, maybe souls get tired and they choose to stop incarnating. That's unfathomable to me because I'm so eternally curious that I would want to come back and, you know, have blonde hair, maybe. Or I'm, I'm trying to be silly. I, you know, there, there are big lessons to be learned in our humanity. And I, I think they're infinite. I think that the characteristic combinations are infinite. And that I, as an individual human, would never run out of possibilities of things I would want to try. Um, but I, I guess it's possible that maybe souls get tired and become done. I didn't see a reason to come back. I, in fact, there over the 13 years, there were definitely periods where I was very actively and I believe rationally suicidal. Um, it was just so great there and so horrible here, especially with the brain injury, um, that I just wanted to die and not come back. I knew that's when I really started to do delve deep into the Buddhism and the, and the value of our individuality and incarnating. Um, I knew that if I called it short in this lifetime, that I wouldn't really be able to not come back. There's still so much fundamental for me to learn that it wouldn't be playing with the, the color of my hair We that I really had to get real in soul in my human, um, before it would be enough learning and teaching. So 
I don't know. I mean, I think we choose to come here and I think that we could equally choose not to. Did you notice while being on the other side that you either kind of knew everything or at least had access to knowing everything if you asked the question? Access. Absolutely. I felt like I knew it, but I didn't have recall for it. I could, you know, and then I think of, I tend to think of my own brain and memories and knowledge and, and accessing it as like an old school card catalog that, you know, like it's all like perfectly sorted and you got to flip through the cards. I don't, I don't have like a supercomputer that I can just call it up. <laughs> um, so that's, that's an NDE executive function issue. I feel like I have access to it all. Is it usable? Probably not. I, I live in this human with a brain that got zapped. Um, so, you know, the logistics of, of accessing it and integrating it are two completely different things. But I do, I feel when I'm connected, when I'm in alignment and when I'm very meditative, I could go ask any question and get an answer. Absolutely. I just may not think about what I want to ask. Do you think it's possible that you even planned this NDE pre-birth? Ooh, probably. That sounds like something I would do. <laughs> Knowing who I am in this human existence. Yeah, I could see that. Maybe. I think it's possible. Yeah. It's like it makes it double challenging. Yeah, I could see it. And, and you know, now on this side of it with the Buddhist philosophy, that makes a whole lot of sense. I wouldn't have said that in my pre-NDE atheist phase, I, I wouldn't have acknowledged that we could, that we were choosing anything pre-birth. I wouldn't have acknowledged that we would um, have memory of our birth process. And I, and I don't, I, I know a lot of people who do, who can remember their birthing process and remember picking their parents. Um, I don't have that it's probably there. If I meditated long enough, I could probably come to that. Um, I'm much more future focused than history, I guess. I think past life regression is fascinating, but I'm, I'm really like, what can I create in this human? What can, what, how can I maximize the tools I've got right now? So I, yeah, I can totally see picking this as a lesson. <laughs> it's a pretty good one. It's fun. After watching this podcast, people may want to reach out to you and ask you questions. Are you open to that? Totally. Totally. I, I love talking about it. And there's just not a whole lot of natural places for me to talk about it in my daily existence. The people who know me really well are just real tired of it, right? Like, <laughs> it's nothing new. That's Amy. Um, and then I can't really talk about this in court. That doesn't fly. <laughs> so yes, I'm always open. I always want to talk about it. What's the best way to reach you? Uh, probably Facebook. Okay. All right, Amy, before we finish up, can you give us one last positive message? Uh, love is a complete sentence. It's in every breath. It's in every smile. It's in every growl. It's in every scolding in every handshake. Love is a complete sentence. It's what we are. It's what we are. We don't, we, we don't, we don't need to break it down. We don't need to apply it in certain ways. We just need to sit and rest and, and be whole in that unconditional love.
Thank you for that message. And Amy, thank you again for being my guest. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.